Hey, thanks for being a part of the conversation. Let's do some pod crashing. Episode number 288 is with Susie and Jessica from the podcast In Retrospect. What a great idea for a podcast, a a journey through thought, because it's like you're, you're, you're inviting us to step back, but you're not doing it in a way that makes me feel guilty about living in a past. Oh, good. Yeah, no, we don't want to feel like it's scolding. We want to remind you of things that you loved and also just ask ourselves some questions about why we love those things and what they look like now in retrospect. (laughs) What's really interesting about this is the fact that, you know, I mean, it's a time period that even radio has forgotten. I mean, sure, we get some of those songs, but those are they're deeper cuts and there are deeper TV shows that that we aren't getting. And you're kind of like sparking that little thing going, hey, you know what? Let me go see if I can find some of that on YouTube. Yeah. And in fact, when you do find it, you are likely to learn that all the kids are watching or listening to it again because the 90s are back. So then you guys must really like this uh, digital age of these antennas that you can put on the back of your TV where you're guaranteed 54 plus TV channels because I'm addicted to watching those old shows. Yeah, I don't know that I watch that many old shows on TV, but I think streaming has really made it so that, you know, even if you weren't alive when Gilmore Girls was popular, you can watch it now. And if you didn't watch Dawson's Creek, which is an episode that we do about um, a relationship on that show, you can binge it, you know? So I think that a lot of this stuff is so accessible now that we're all watching and it feels current even when it's not Man, it's so funny that you bring up the Gilmore Girls because I, I was with one of the actors yesterday and, and he talked about, hey, I'm so glad that you brought up the CW because the younger generation is watching everything on their smartphones and you just proved him true. I mean, it's like, yes. it, it's like oh my God. I mean, every, everything that he spoke about yesterday because he's hoping that he, his new show is going to be exactly what Gilmore Girls did. And yeah, that's so I mean, funny. I that there's a lot of interest still in Gilmore Girls. It's fall, every fall all my social media sort of lights up with Gilmore Girls season. And that's really uh, speaks to the enduring quality of these shows. These, these shows we loved as kids really do have something that, you know, still translates. But now the kids are watching them on TikTok. Oh, clips, so true. Tiny little clips, you know? They don't even know the names of the shows. They're just like memorizing scenes in 45 second clips. Oh my God. If you guys only knew how TikTok affects me as a mobile DJ, because they, you know, they get 20 seconds of a song and that's all they want at that school at that school right. party. That's it's like, okay, you can get out of it now. I've had I've had my fix. <laughs> <laughs> so when let, let's go that's ahead wild. and put it out there. I learned so much from the the swimsuit of baby watch that was the most interesting because i thought why do i want to listen to this because i've read everything in the national Enquirer. i've seen the magazine nope you guys took it really darn deep and you put explanation behind it i'm so glad you say that i I mean that's one of the things we love about doing this we're both journalists we get really into going deep down rabbit holes and finding obscure facts about things that you may not have read in the national Enquirer. So when it comes to the cherry red swimsuit worn by Pamela Anderson and many others on Baywatch, we learn all sorts of surprising and hilarious facts, such as, did you know that that sexy swimsuit was actually based on a real lifeguard suit and it was meant to be really athletic so that they could rescue people in the surf? Uh, That was news (laughs) to me based on how it looked. 
And and the thing is is that you 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 go even deeper into the show because I was a fan of Baywatch. I didn't realize that she appeared on the third season and how serious the show was. See, that's the journalism I like is that you guys do the homework, we get to listen. Thank you very much for making it so easy. <laughs> Our pleasure. Well, that one's all Jess, so I have to give her the credit for that. She really was the one who um, went deep on Baywatch, and I didn't realize it was the most popular show in the world. Like I didn't realize it had been exported to every country in the world, and that's why Pamela Anderson really does feel like an American icon. I think so much of the world, when they think of the classic California girl, pictures Pamela Anderson. Even though she's Canadian. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to spend time with her. Oh, my God. That had to have been a one-on-one experience that you're going to cherish forever. Yeah, I mean, she's really delightful. Um, we had a really fun time. I, I went up to her home, which is in Canada. Um, she's moved back to her hometown. We got snowed in. This was in the winter. So it was sort of the opposite of what you might imagine of Pamela Anderson, who you think of as on the beach. Um, but it was it was lovely. And she has really fond memories of, you know, that show and also that swimsuit, though she now has to keep hers in a safe because so many people want it. The podcast we're talking about is in retrospect. And and I, once again, I got to give you kudos in the way that you guys turn this into a conversation, because while I'm driving, I feel like that I'm sitting right there and you're in the backseat of my car or the front seat with me. And, and you give me just enough space where I can where I can think you're not rushing things into my head. We're so happy to hear that. I mean, I think what we really want is for people to feel like they're at lunch with us or at dinner and we're just having a conversation and. It's something we happen to know a little bit more about. So you're listening to us sort of banter about it, but we do want it to feel intimate and like it's um, a way for us to just kind of hang out with you for a bit. So I'm really happy to hear that that's how it felt for you. And it's about the 80s and 90s. And as a radio talent who has to be in touch with every culture on the planet, one of the things that I struggled with as a radio jock was the fact that, well, do, do I do androgyny? Do, is it time for me to put on the black makeup? And, and I didn't know what to do in a situation like that, because how could I be cool if I wasn't looking cool? I mean, look, I think that's something we all struggle with as we age. And lucky for us, I mean, at least lucky for Susie and I, I don't know how old you are. The era that we grew up on, the 80s and 90s, is now back. Everyone is into it. So literally the outfits that I wore, like going to my eighth grade dance or to my bat mitzvah, are now what people are wearing. So just, you know, dig into your old clothes. See, and that's every reason why I think that we, instead of just throwing things away, throwing, you know, the, the history, we, we should actually preserve it in a way to where we, we can pass it forward. And because, I mean, just to show you how old I am, I still have my platform shoes, my four-inch platform shoes. That that, that puts me back <laughs> in the decade that. of the 70s. And, and, and every day I see them because they're all lined up and it's like, oh my God, one day I need to put my old feet in those things. <laughs> you should start wearing them again. The kids oh will love it. Oh, my God. Radio disc jockey with a broken hip because he put on his platforms from the 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> Oprah's little red wagon. I mean, you know what? We, we've entered this age now where Oprah is, well, she's not on, on everybody, you know, the tip of the tongue anymore. But yet you bring it up in a way going, oh, my God. Do you remember when Oprah was the big deal? Yeah, I mean, I think that Oprah is obviously still an extremely famous person, but, you know, when she was coming into your living room every day at four o'clock growing up, 
that really did have a different kind of impact on the culture. We really felt like she set the conversation on a lot of topics. So it was really fun to go back and look at that era. It was an era I was definitely part of. I watched Oprah every afternoon when I'd come home from school and I kept watching it into my 20s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think for kids today, they may not realize just how big a deal she was. So we wanted to kind of remind people of the power that she had and also the way in which she um, set conversation, right? She really led a lot of conversations that weren't common about mental health, about racism, about alcoholism. And in the case of this particular episode, she talked a lot about her own struggles and her vulnerability around her weight. And I think, you know, for a lot of people that was really relatable and that's sort of what made her that and that show so special see and the thing is is that i i was watching daytime television when phil donahue was the big deal and then when oprah came on the scene i remember as a broadcaster saying oh i think things are changing and and so i as a jock need to change my style as well because oprah's got a new way of sharing stories do you feel like you made yourself more vulnerable absolutely I, I feel I, I put my yeah because once once you start putting your real self out there that's it that's it that means that people can come to you and 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 now have an argument with you agree with you or basically uh, you know accept or not accept is what it was. Yeah, I think the audience really responds to authenticity, and that's something that Oprah really figured out early on. The daytime market was very tabloidy, as you're sort of remembering the Phil Donahue's the. Geraldo Rivera's, that was like a very tabloidy culture. And she sort of brought a much more personal touch and she made it about, as she would put it at the time, living your best life. So it was a very different kind of approach to talk shows. She started out doing kind of a more traditional, you know, tabloidy thing. But over time, she really developed her own style. And then it's been imitated a lot. And I think, you know, it's been really hard to capture that same magic but a few people i think are starting to do it and we we're starting to see other big popular shows but it's taken years like that hole in the daytime market it took a long time to fill it yeah you know what's really interesting the way that you just said that is that, that there's a, there was a gigantic hole in in the broadcast industry back then and that we we can look at television today with the news and the daytime shows or the morning shows such as NBC's today look at the hosts and say you know what there was a story before those hosts got on into that position and that story actually goes back to the 80s and 90s because look at what women were doing in the 80s and 90s growing into that position of being a leader in broadcasting Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what we look at now as pretty common was pretty uncommon Mm -hmm. when we were growing up. You know, like when you look at what Barbara Walters was able to do, when you look at what a Diane Sawyer or a Katie Couric did, they really led the way for a generation of female journalists. We see, you know, women leading evening news shows now. We see women leading Sunday morning talk shows. That's something that we didn't really see growing up. And I think you know, as a culture, we do owe a debt to these women who really led the way. And part of what we're trying to do with the podcast is sort of ask ourselves, you know, what ways did they help move the culture forward? But in what ways did the culture also shape them? What were they sort of forced to do to be able to take on those roles? And I think, you know, those compromises are part of, you know, being first and taking on roles that aren't necessarily expected of women. And so sometimes when we look back on it, it does feel dated. 
but it still really tells us something about where we are now. I got to be honest with you. You're going to think I'm a freak, but I believe that the big change in television news and broadcasting was because of Laura on General Hospital, because she had to prove her strength in front of that daytime audience every day. And Luke and Laura became such a big powerhouse, but Laura was always strong. And I, and I swear that was one of the reasons why I loved watching it. Oh, that's, that's, so that's so funny. I mean, I'll let Susie chime in on this because she knows everything there is to know about Luke and Laura. But I actually didn't watch it in oh, hospital wow. and I didn't know about Luke and Laura. And so to learn that their wedding was oh my God, yes. watched yeah. by more people than the actual royal weddings, either of them, was just stunning to me. That's how big they were. Well, the song Baby Come to Me from Patty Austin. My God, I was on the radio when that was when, when they finally gave it to us to play on the radio because they were getting it on television and, and listeners wanted it. And I mean, that just proved how strong that was. Yeah, I mean, that show really led to a lot of chart topping songs. There's a, a very famous song that was playing when um, Luke and Laura first, um, I guess, get together. Although what part of what we're looking at in this episode is that in fact, that storyline was that Luke assaulted Laura, yep. and it was a very explicit storyline on the show. Luke was supposed to be a very minor character, but you know, over time, the audience really responded to him, and they decided to turn it into a seduction, and the song that was playing in the background became a number one hit, the song Rise, and eventually was sampled by P. Diddy and Biggie in one of their songs. Yeah. So it really does show you that this stuff um, sort of travels in ways you don't expect. At any time during your journalism careers, back in the early days and through the struggles and challenges with, with, with editors and program directors and things like that, did you ever think that the freedom of a podcast was just that far away? You, you said, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. And we're going to have a place where we can do journalism like this that affects people's everyday lives. Yeah, I mean, it's it's honestly kind of nice for me anyway, as a writer to get to rest my wrists and talk to a friend like this is a much more communal process. It feels like chatting with a friend while getting to do journalism. So that's a really fun aspect of it. And, and I think reaching communities that may not necessarily read The New York Times for me. And in that process of creating these shows, how, how does it come out into being? Because so many people tune into these shows that, that I do because my goal is to teach better uh, podcasting rather than judge, because I can't do that. I'm not a critic. But what I want to do is I want to showcase stars that, and, and, and journalists that, that are building shows that make a purpose in, in, in the reason why we listen. Yeah, I mean, I think the experience of doing this has been so fun for us. And part of what we're trying to do is really like help people become familiar with these topics, but not in a way that feels like we're lecturing you or scolding you. We just want you to feel like you're chilling with us and we're helping you kind of, you know, look back on things slightly critically, but not negatively. Right. You know, these are things we loved and we want other people to embrace that. Okay. So we say that we're not doing it critically. Uh, Axe body spray. Come on. I, I never fell in love with that. <laughs> Did you wear it? Did you wear it? No, I, I couldn't do it because I felt like it put me too present, if you know what I mean. I mean, I'm such an introvert, and I think that in, in wearing it, it, it would have put me way out there because people go, whoa, dude. And it's like, oh, God, why did you recognize me? Because of the Axe body spray. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, for us growing up uh, in the 90s and early 2000s, 
that was like the scent of middle school, you know, <laughs> like you couldn't escape that scent. All of the boys soon to be men in middle and high school were dousing themselves in X body spray. And so when we were focusing on some of these subjects in the show, we did an episode on Dawson's Creek. We're doing other ones. I just kept saying, God, this is like making the scent of Axe body spray rise up in my mind. But then I couldn't really imagine what it actually smelled like. And then it turned out that Susie had never smelled it. So I actually went and got a bunch of Axe body sprays. It's very easy to get still. Uh, and we doused the studio with it. And then we were choking and could never go back in there again. <laughs> speaking of cultural changes, I think Moon Zappa changed something. It wasn't that, that she introduced a way of speaking. It was already popular in the valleys of California, but she at least put it out there for the rest of the nation to catch up. Yeah, I mean, I'm a California girl through and through. I think you can hear it on the podcast. So, you know, that's kind of the interesting thing. Thing about this like I was born in Iran so you wouldn't think that I would sound so much like a California girl but <laughs> well, many of us who sort of came to this country as kids learned about culture by watching these shows and watching these celebrities so I think you know part of the way I sound is because I grew up watching people and admiring them and then imitating them and isn't it odd that even vocal frying today, to me, it's just another form of valley talk. And But but the thing is, is that these experts now say that, that vocal frying will actually destroy your voice. I never heard anything like that about valley talk. Is that true? Yeah, I don't know if that, I mean, so I find this so interesting because yes, valley girl speak of which I have been accused many times and <laughs> I'm not from the valley. I grew up in Seattle in the grunge era, so kind of opposite of valley girl, but if you look at the comments on our podcast, often people will say we sound like Valley Girls, and I think this is really common for women. But actually, what the research shows is that you know women tend to have higher pitches, and sometimes mm -hmm. we can interpret it as being more Valley Girl than it may actually be. And so if the baseline, if what we hear as authoritative voice has traditionally been male, because those were the people in charge, you can understand how anything that challenges that or that sounds different can be sort of dismissed as, as Valley Girl speak. So I don't know, this is the thing that I've thought about for a lot of my career and thinking, well, do I change the way I talk or do I just embrace it? And this is how millions of women speak, so why not? You bring up a very good point because I'm a broadcast instructor and one of the things that I do when I sit down with, with the female journalists and broadcasters is the fact that I do, I say, bring it down an octave because I want you to talk like you're talking to your mom and dad. You don't go way up here with your mom and dad. Keep it down here so that you can have that conversation. And of course, guys are going, hey baby, what are you doing? Uh, yeah. Big rock, 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 rock. I'm going, no, get That's your voice so out of the. Oh, it's, it's girls go high, guys go low. That's so interesting because, you know, actually, if you trace the history of this, and this is one of the things we love to do in this podcast, you'll find that the original tools created, the original recording tools and also microphones were actually created for male voices. So, in fact, they don't capture female voices the same way. Like there's a raspiness. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, sure, you do want to be heard. You want to make sure that your voice is heard. But there is bias <laughs> deeply embedded into the way that radio was created where it literally didn't record women's voices the same way we only have a couple of minutes here and i i got it i wanted to talk about this the boy george changed everything i mean in so many ways and continues to do so today what was your personal experiences i mean i love boy george and i still do you know i think that that music is so evocative of that era, like the Boy George era, the George Michael era, that music really, when you hear it, it just takes you back to being a kid. And 
also just, you know, I think a lot of the culture now, we sort of um, act like it's all new, right? Harry Styles wears a dress and we're like, oh my God, this is the first time that's ever happened. But when you look back at like a David Bowie or a Boy George, they played with these same sort of androgynous styles. And, you know, that's really what we owe this current fashion moment to. It's important to remember kind of the roots of all this stuff. You know, what's interesting about your podcast in retrospect is that I'm not racing to win a career right now. So therefore, when I listen to this, I get to enjoy the life that I missed because I was chasing a career. Oh, yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Please come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much for having us. us. Well, you'd be brilliant today, you two. You too. You too.